You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. This is Bible teacher Nelson Walters. Today we're discussing the day Jesus miraculously cursed and withered a fig tree. Now, usually what happened 2,000 years ago shouldn't worry us today, right? Well, maybe this miracle should. Usually, Jesus is healing things, not killing things. But this day was different, and it has deep ramifications for us and for what our future is going to look like, significant ramifications. That's what we're talking about today in this teaching. In all my years of listening to sermons online and in person, I have never heard one pastor teach about this withered tree and its true implications. Why? (laughs) Well, it doesn't fit the narrative, does it? Jesus is the great healer and the Lamb of God who paid the price for your sin and my sin. That's the narrative. But Jesus is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who is returning to protect his own and then to punish the unrepentant world. That's not usually the narrative on Sundays. But that is what we're talking about today. In fact, Jesus commanded us to learn about this fig tree. Matthew 24, 32, learn the parable of the fig tree, he said. Jesus told us this withering of the fig tree was a real life parable, and he wants all Christians to learn and understand it. But I bet very few have obeyed this command. But we're going to learn it today and its implications for our lives today and every day from now on. Okay, let's get started. On Nisan 10, Lamb Selection Day in Jerusalem, the day that we tend to call Palm Sunday, the day that they chose the lamb to be sacrificed on Passover, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to the adoration of his followers, most of them not realizing that he was that lamb, the lamb of God. As I said, we now call this Palm Sunday. Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus went to the temple, but it was already late in the day, and he returned to Bethany for the night. The next morning is when all the fireworks happened. Mark eleven twelve through 13 On the following day, Monday, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Remember, Jesus said this event is a parable, a metaphor. Let's figure out what that metaphor is. Now, fig trees produce fruit twice a year. In the spring, small fruits grow on the previous year's shoot. Growths called bakura in Hebrew. This is what Jesus was looking for around Passover when this event happened. The main fig crop develops in the late summer or early fall months, but if the small spring fruits don't develop, then the fall fruits won't either. So when Mark said it wasn't the season for figs, this is what the gospel meant. Let's continue in Mark eleven fourteen. 14. 
And he, Jesus said to it, the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. This seems totally out of character for our Lord. But remember, what happens to this fig tree is a parable. Jesus then returned to the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers, and drove them out of the court of the Gentiles. This was another very violent and out-of-character act that we don't usually associate with Jesus, but Jesus' full nature is what all of us need to consider. He is the lion and the lamb. And when it was evening, Jesus and his disciples returned to Bethany again. The next morning, Tuesday morning, Jesus and the disciples walked by the fig tree that Jesus had cursed just 24 hours earlier, and it was withered to its roots, dead as a doornail. And the disciples were amazed. Jesus used it as an opportunity to show what can be done when someone prays in faith. Even mountains can move, he said. But Jesus had one more use of this illustration of the dead tree and the clearing of the temple still left for his disciples that day. But first, Jesus was confronted by the scribes and Pharisees. They challenged his authority and challenged his understanding of Scripture. Jesus told the parable of the vineyard at this time and used a Roman coin to explain how to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and explained what the greatest commandment was. All these things he did in answer to the Pharisees and Sadducees' questions. Then Jesus let them have it, and he called down curses and woes on the Pharisees and scribes, saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, calling them whitewashed tombs, blind guides, dead men's bones, famously ending his rant against them with, See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 23, 38-39 There's no going back after this rant. Done in public, in the temple courts. As Jesus and the disciples were leaving for Bethany again that night, the disciples tried to cut the tension by pointing out the beautiful temple buildings. This is when Jesus famously said to them, that not one temple stone would be left upon another, that the temple, the center of all Jewish worship, and the center of the nation would be completely destroyed. This happened, of course, in 70 AD, as you probably know. Now, all of these events happened on one day, Tuesday, of what we call Holy Week. Jesus' disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, came to him privately that evening as they sat on the Mount of Olives and asked him, When will these things be? As part of his answer, Jesus said, Learn the parable of the fig tree, the withered fig tree that they had seen earlier that morning, was central to what was going to happen to the temple and to our future as well. All of this happened on the exact same day, all these events. So when Jesus said, learn the parable of the fig tree, he was talking about the withered fig tree that they saw that morning. The problem in most Christian circles is that we don't read these things in context. We read the fig tree parable out of context, as if it's about any old tree. 
And it's not. Jesus was talking about the withered tree, the one that was the living parable. So who or what does the withered tree represent in the parable? Who got withered that day? Whose house was left desolate? Whose house did Jesus drive the wicked out of? Whose temple did Jesus say would not have another stone left on another? Everything that happened that day was part of the fig tree parable. The leaders of the nation of Judaism, the scribes and Pharisees, and the nation of Israel are the fig tree. They were the unfruitful tree without figs. Israel is compared to several different types of trees in Scripture, olive, fig, and cypress. But the Old Testament gives us a couple references to it being a fig tree. Jeremiah 24, Hosea 9.10, Jeremiah 8.13. And it's often an unfaithful nation in these analogies. And because they did not show the spring fruit on Jesus' first coming, he knew they would not develop the final, mature fruit of repentance that Jesus desired out of them. So he withered the nation. This is in keeping with a number of other New Testament teachings where the unfruitful plants are broken off or burned. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, the tares look just like the wheat. The difference is they don't develop fruit. The harvesters then gather them in bundles and burn them so their seed, their unfruitful seed, doesn't infect the ground in the future. In the analogy of the vine and the branches, Jesus told how unfruitful branches are cut off and burned. In Paul's analogy of the olive tree in Romans eleven seventeen, the unfaithful branches of Israel were broken off and faithful Gentile branches were grafted onto the tree. So you're probably asking, maybe I don't get it yet. Why should we be concerned about this? Didn't that just happen a long time ago? Look what Paul says to the Gentile branches who were grafted onto the tree. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Romans eleven twenty one through 22. Ah, that's a pretty stern warning. Jesus will treat churchgoers like the fig tree if they're unfruitful, producing the small figs now and the large, fully mature figs during the challenges that are coming in the last days. The second reason we should be concerned is a timing issue because there is a second aspect to this parable. Look what Jesus had to say. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and it puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, and by that he means the events described before his coming in Matthew 24, you know he is near at the very gates. So Jesus tells his disciples that the fig tree won't remain withered forever, but someday in the future, it's going to put out leaves again, that the nation of Israel will be reborn. And the rebirth of Israel is a sign that his return is close. 
In fact, Jesus tells us the generation that sees Israel put forth his leaves will not pass away until all the end time events of Matthew 24 take place. Here's what he says. Truly, I say to you, this generation, the generation that sees Israel become a nation, will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Matthew 24, 34 through 35. These are some of the most controversial verses in the New Testament. Now, you probably know that. But seen in light of the withered fig tree, they're not hard to understand at all. Many preterists and historicists believe that when Jesus said this generation, he meant the generation alive when he was speaking, a first century generation. However, the fig tree hadn't lost its leaves yet, let alone put forth new ones. When the preterists say this, it also shows a lack of knowledge of Koine Greek. The Greek word, hutos, translated as this, can mean the one present at that time, or it can mean the one just referred to. And that is obviously what Jesus was saying, the second one, especially since the things in Matthew 24 did not take place in the first century. The gospel was not preached in the whole world, and it still hasn't been. The Great Tribulation did not take place in the whole world, as Jesus said it would. And the tribulation that did happen in 70 AD was not the worst tribulation ever. Obviously, the Holocaust was worse for Jews, and there were, have been many other horrible events since then. A false messiah did not arise that would deceive everyone with signs and wonders, except the elect. Then Jesus did not come on the clouds to be seen by every eye in the world and gather the saints with his angels. None of these things took place back in the first century. These verses are also controversial because the phrase, no one knows the day or hour of Jesus' return. So folks say, how can we say the formation of Israel in 1948 is a sign that we are now in the terminal or final generation. But please notice, the words no one knows the day or hour are part of this same fig tree parable. Jesus was explaining what we can know and what we can't know about the timing of his return. He said, we can't know the exact day or hour that he's coming back. For instance, saying he will come back on such and such a day or such and such an hour, can't say that. But we can know that he will come back sometime prior to the last person alive in 1948, prior to that person passing away. And there are many such people. Evangelist Anne Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter, is one such person. So is that date setting? Back in 1988, the most notorious date setting event in history was based on a similar understanding of this passage. Edgar Weisenhut wrote a book called 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Be in 1988. He thought the length of a generation was 40 years. So he added 40 years to 1948 and came up with 1988. And obviously, he was completely and totally wrong. And by making this mistake, he did a lot of damage by turning people off to the concept of the end times. People who went along with him got terribly burned by his date setting. 
If you want to know the reason why most churches today don't teach about the return of Jesus, this is the reason. That book, they think, hey, I'm not going there. We aren't getting burned again. But Weisenhout was wrong about the concept. He just forgot Jesus's final admonition in the parable, no one knows the day or hour. He tried to be too precise when the takeaway should have been that the generation born in 1948 is the final generation, that we or our children will be the ones to see the events of Matthew 24. We must not set an exact date for Jesus' return, just the season for his return. Now, the earliest church fathers also held this concept that the rebirth of a nation of Israel was going to be the event that launched the end times, that it was the sign. Irenaeus from 150 AD and Ephraim from 300 AD both wrote about this sign. That's how strongly they felt about it. And since we are that final generation, we need to know what Jesus says that we should be doing to prepare for those days. That's why Marquis Laughlin, Pastor Jake McCandless, and I formed Last Days Overcomers, and why we're holding conferences throughout the USA to inform people about Jesus and what he says to do in those days. You can log on to our website at lastdaysovercomer.org to download our free ebook, 10 Signs the Last Days Have Already Begun, to convince yourself even further that we are that last generation. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.